Welcome to Decoded. My name is Sydney Lai, and this show is brought to you by OutSystems. OutSystems is a developer platform where you can build mission-critical applications for the enterprise level. I am saying banking, auto, logistics, governments, they all use OutSystems to be able to build very, very quickly. And if you want to learn more, OutSystems is providing a two-week app development school. You can learn reactive and mobile web really quickly. Check it out. I'll put the signups in the show notes. It's absolutely free. Regardless of what level of developer you are, this bootcamp is going to be super helpful to continue building. With that being said, I'm very excited about today's topic because it is the topic about aging. And aging is going to happen to all of us, regardless of what age, right? And and I think also this is very specific to the tech industry because the tech industry just moves so quickly. The technology transforms so fast. And I think staying relevant is so important, especially in tech. Um, but what does it mean when you are older, when you are senior, and maybe just more seasoned as a developer? The tech stacks just change your, your experiences and the way you are as a consumer and not just a dev, but as a consumer, it's completely different. I mean, think about think about the tech that we had in the 90s and look at where we are now. I mean, even even like 2016, right? Remember when Vine was a thing? Now it's TikTok. It, it blows my mind. So I'm really excited to introduce Didi Walsh and we are going to dive through a really, really awesome career and journey. Let's get started. So I'm really excited to talk to Didi today. She is the vice president at Mobilize. And she started her career back in the 80s, right? A career in tech in the 80s. She's responsible for building the Microsoft Store. She helped build Visual Studio. Let's just get started. Let's jump in. Didi, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me, Sydney. It's good to talk to you. Yeah, it's actually good seeing you again. I know I first saw you at Microsoft Build. We were walking around at the conferences you had your laptop with all the cool stickers on it, you had a cool graphic t-shirt. And I was like, whoa, who is this person? She's unlike any other developer I've seen so far in a very long time at these conferences. And I really want to talk to her. Of course, I was carrying my Mac laptop, so I had to actually hide that. When I approached you, I just, yeah, I really wanted to understand your story. So, I mean, how did you start in tech in the 80s? Because even back then, that is so obscure. It was just starting. I'd love to hear that perspective. Oh, yeah. I've had such an amazing time because, and it was really luck. I've been in tech since I was 19 years old. I worked for my friend's dad, who was one of the first software companies. It was a shareware company. That was back in the days when every day we would go to the post office and people would send, we would fill big crates full of cash that people would send for this shareware product. It was called PC File. I did the data entry. And when I graduated, I went to work full time, started in tech support. And it was the greatest foundation because you quickly learn to think like a customer. In fact, one of the most common questions we'd get is, I can't get my database to print. Like I want to print it and it won't print. And invariably, the issue was that they hadn't plugged in their printer. <laughs> Nowadays, there would be a pop-up or something to remind people, plug in your printer. But what I learned very quickly is how people react to tech 
is very different than what you think they're going to do. And it's a really bad practice to blame the customer when they fail to use your product the way you thought they would. So anyway, that was the best way to start. While helping with product support, I also helped build the product. So that was fun and exciting too. So it's been amazing. I think that's very true. Maybe back in the day, you didn't have the terminology of user experience or customer feedback. I'm not sure. This is just... No, no, there was no UX. I actually been around so long that I remember when PCs launched, that was 1981. And when the Macs first came out and when I was in college, you didn't have a personal computer until when I started, that's when you kind of could start buying them. And I worked for the honors program, writing and editing a student journal And so, you know, I finagled it so that we could buy several PCs and Macs and even the printers, which were much more primitive than what we have now. And it was really fun because I got to handle everything, you know, like the desktop publishing, which was, of course, a lot more primitive. And you had to write PostScript and all of that. And I took a basic programming class, which was different from like what the computer science people were doing. The basic programming was actually taught for the elementary education people, teaching them basic. And so I worked my way into that and just fell in love with the concept of of getting code to do stuff, which is an amazing thing when you think about it. And so what do you think really captivated you about that? And was there an aha moment or was it more of a gradual entrance into the world of tech? You know, I fell in love with So when I first started in college, we used typewriters. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And we had them. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And we had electric typewriters. So they had a little bit of memory, but like a PC where you could, first off, type papers, which is probably the most boring use of a PC. But the idea of coding and getting where I had this newsletter that I was doing for my college, and with a little bit of code that I could get things to automate and get things set up so that each time we publish the newsletter, we learn things about how to automate it better. And so writing a little basic program to automate it a little bit more each time was so exciting. It was like, wow, look at this. I can, I can just write a little bit of code and I could do it. It wasn't like Before that, you had to go to a printer and they had to set it up. I mean, I controlled it. The idea of the personal computer was so powerful. And now we sort of take that for granted, especially with like a phone where you can get your phone to do so much. But then the idea of a personal computer that I could do things that before you had to have a very specialized person to do. Right, right. I mean, I think what is really cool to hear is just thinking about automation the definition of automation in the context of the 80s, in the context of personal computing (laughs) in the 80s, right? And I think that on a macro level, that theme still holds true. But the way we automate things, it just looks like it's so different than it is, than it was, I should say, right? And so, you know, I'm very curious to hear experience of what do you think it was like in the tech world then? Was it always skewed towards young people like it is in Silicon Valley today, right? You you always see on Forbes or TechCrunch, whatever it is, this 20-year-old, this 30-year-old doing crazy things. 
What was it like, in, I guess, in that context in the yeah, 80s or even 90s, really? Well, 90s, I think, were significantly different than the 80s. In the 80s, when I first started, the people who were doing stuff, right? <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah. the people who were doing things, like it was Jim Button, who was the guy I worked for. You know, he was in his 40s and 50s. And then there was a guy named Peter Norton, Norton Utilities, who now, that's kind of the foundation for Symantec company and all that antivirus stuff. I mean, Peter Norton, for me in my 20s, because I was very young, I thought of him as an old man. Now, I'm sure he's probably younger than I am now. But a lot of these folks who were doing things in the early days, they were people who were kind of geeks and could afford a PC, which at that time was several thousand dollars. And so I don't think of it as young, but then in the 90s, I started at Microsoft, I think in 91, 92, I should know that year. But anyway, <laughs> when I started there and I was 28. Wait, and wait, Didi, have you seen Bill Gates like physically with your eyeballs? I have, I have, yeah. <laughs> okay. Seen the man, just, been in the meetings. <laughs> but I'm, I, I, yeah, I'm probably not the inner circle, but I've, I've, <laughs> I've been in the meetings. But You've physically seen his in the yeah. flesh and bones. Right. Yeah, yeah, been there, done that. But yeah, when I started at Microsoft and I was 28 years old, which, you know, I look at that now and I think of myself as so young, I felt ancient just so old because everybody was 23, 24. Microsoft at that point was talking people into dropping out of college to go to Microsoft. And there were 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds. I worked, I don't think I ever worked for someone older than me at Microsoft. I spent 20 years there and it was always someone younger. So then the 90s is where it got a lot younger. Yeah. Yeah. And so it sounds like that was almost one of the pinnacle moments where you started seeing a shift in the way people recruited, the way companies recruited. I mean, when you talk about Microsoft, it also reminds me of Atari back in the day, trying to get kids to drop out, maybe even Apple, arguably. I think, uh, yeah, it's maybe, maybe it's a theme that's relevant to kind of the geeks who are like, hey, we don't, we don't need this institutionalized education. We just want to build yeah. stuff or something like that. Yeah. And Microsoft at that point, because it was kind of the leader, which nobody remembers that now. Everybody thinks about Facebook and Apple, but Microsoft was definitely the hot company. And the campus was like a college campus. There were all these young kids walking around. There were soccer fields and baseball fields, and everybody was barefoot and t-shirts. And it was a very fun environment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I and I think that that's very true that that resonates with a younger generation. But what do you think helps really attract an older workforce and more seasoned workforce, right? So a lot of these amenities, you know, food delivery, laundry, I mean, we're talking about today, you do your laundry on campus, you have a lap pool. But what is relevant to bringing in more diverse season experience. You know, you have experience of seeing technology transform in the 80s and the 90s. Right. I have maybe at most one decade <laughs> of that experience. And maybe some, maybe some like little faint memories of like GeoCities. Right, you know? right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I don't I didn't even bother with GeoCities. That was <laughs> that was too young for me. But um uh I think that as you get older the benefits are nice, but at the end of the day, 
I think it's about management. And I actually think this applies to anyone. So I would say the same thing for young employees, which is treat each employee as an expert and then ask how you can help them to be successful. And I would do that for anyone. Learn about your employees and what they value. Be open and transparent. Care about them and trust them. I mean, those are the things that are kind of bedrock. But I think that as I get older, I don't care as much about like, oh, is the cafeteria amazing? Or do I get, (laughs) those are nice, you know, and do I get free Diet Coke? And do I get free food? Those are nice. But I've reached a point in my career where I could pay for my food, <laughs> I could yeah, pay for my a, diet coke. That, that's, a, that's so. That's actually so true. I mean, yeah. as you're saying, this reminds me of like, man, college parties and frat parties used to be so fun, and now when I look at them, I'm like, wow, how did I take time to go to those? And those don't seem very fun. And yeah, so I I feel you. Yeah. So really, how you're treated is the critical thing. But again, I think that's true for everyone. I mean, I I just hired someone who's a lot younger than me and just starting out his career. And obviously, that's how I want to treat him because I want him to feel like this is the greatest job he's ever had. Right, right. Especially as you're talking about this younger, younger hire. This also brings to memory how, you know, sometimes there's a catch-22 where you're a junior developer and you can't get hired because they're only hiring senior developers. And then you're like, well, how do I become a senior developer if you never give me a chance? I think that narrative is very common. It's definitely a topic for discussion. But I am curious, is there a similar topic for the older generation? Because look, this is relevant to not just you. This is relevant to everyone. I'm going to be old one day. You're right. And I worry right. about this. I genuinely, yeah. you know, I've, I had, I've had a heart to heart with you in the past where I'm like, man, how do I approach this in the workforce? Because that day will come. And what was it like then in the 80s and 90s? Was it a conversation then? And how is it a conversation now? How do you navigate this conversation? Well, I mean, I think that when you are young, you really don't. I mean, you're actually way more mature than I was because <laughs> like I can remember when at Microsoft, sometimes we'd have an acquisition and someone older would join. And I'm not going to say a specific name, but I re- there was an acquisition we had where a kind of older head of state guy joined and, and we had a meeting with him. And I remember, you know, he's all raw and going on and on. I remember all of us thinking, oh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's like the Charlie Brown parents. Yeah, yeah, wah, exactly. Wah, wah, wah. And I remember just thinking, oh, he's so out of it. And when you're young, you're always trying to prove yourself. Or at least I was. That's how I felt. And as you get older, you start to feel like you should get credit for all the years of experience. But because of the youth of our industry, it's hard to get credit and credibility for past work. And our industry is, what did you do for me today? That's a very typical mindset. And you want that moral high ground. I want to be able to say, I know this because of my experience. And a lot of younger people don't want to give that to me. And so you just have to kind of put up with, I mean, that that is the reality. People don't, they want to know what you did today. And so I think like older developers need to embrace the idea that there just aren't any sacred cows. You need to be open to that give and take with your younger colleagues. Yes, I have more experience than you, but I have to be open 
to your new ways and your ideas, because the chances of my knowing everything are, are zero. And the chances of you having something super valuable to contribute is very high. So I think that's critical. And then there's kind of a stereotype of complacency with older workers. And I've seen it, but a big thing that has helped me, and I haven't had some overt plan, but it sort of worked out well for me, which is you know, stay current on technology. You keep your skills up to date. Be intellectually curious. It's critical to be constantly learning because, you know, I mean, you've been, how long have you been in the industry now? <laughs> oh gosh, maybe seven years. And how much has changed since you started? It blows my mind. Right? Absolutely. Now I'm talking to Gen Z and I'm like, how does this, how does this work? How do I know how do I edit on TikTok? Like, right? It's, it's yeah, absurd. yeah, right. Yeah. Dude, TikTok, which I love, <laughs> by the way. And the thing about the speed of change is that it increases. When I think of when I started and, and how long it took for a full revolution, it was years. And now it's measured in months, days, you know. Oh, are, yes. are you I'm freaking out because you're right. Because just yesterday we had Vine. Remember Vine? Right? And there was Periscope. Right. And then Twitter's like, hey, TikTok, we want to maybe buy you. And I was like, Twitter, don't you remember what you did with Periscope? So I don't. Anyways. Yeah. Yes. And so at the end of the day, performance proves value. And so if you bring it every day, mostly every day, that effort adds up to contribution. And that's something you can point to and show your value with concrete examples. And so that's, that's kind of been my philosophy is like, on balance, I bring it every day. And on balance, I contribute every day. And once you do that, you'll have this body of work that speaks for itself. Right. And so, I mean, I think when you're talking about just really committing to doing great work every day, you also also mentioned the speed of change, right? So I'm coming from a place of curiosity, which is, so does that mean like if you're an older developer in the workforce, can you bring, is the added benefit the legacy programming languages? Is that relevant? Because you, you guys have a stack that's completely different to ours. Is it different skill sets? I guess I'm trying to understand from your perspective, what is the role of more seasoned developers, right? Because we know the other end of the argument, which is like, oh, young folks, they know how to use Flutter. They know how to use TikTok, you know, just like whatever, right? But they've used it before since they were infants, right? So yeah, I think there's a couple of things. I mean, and I'm speaking kind of for myself. I think that as you get older, you can take a lot of shortcuts that someone younger probably isn't comfortable with or knows that like I can get to things faster in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Like you sort of know how to cut through the crap because I mean, our jobs are made of a lot of crap. You know, you've got <laughs> someone who's like, blah, blah. you know, I'll use a VP as an example. At Microsoft, there'd be a VP who'd say, this is what you need to do. And a younger person would probably follow it. And the older person is like, okay, I'll take that little nugget because I know that. And then the rest of it, I'll just... So I think you can cut through crap a little faster than someone younger. And so that's one advantage. I think you know how to get answers and you have a pretty big network. Like if you say to me, you know, I need something new... I have a whole network of people I can go to to get help with it, to find the answer. 
so that to me are the kind of the big advantages are like, you know how to cut through, you know, kind of what you can and can't do. And I just feel like my network is such an asset to me of people who you have a question about the inner workings of C sharp, whatever. I know probably 30 people who could answer that immediately. So that's kind of what I think. Yeah, that, that absolutely makes sense. I mean, I think this really reminds me of how you can really stand out as an older talent in the job market, especially with other counterparts, because one thing I think of is like, how else can you stand out, right? For those who are like, what would your advice be for other older developers? Because you always, you always hear that like, hey, you know, COBOL isn't a thing anymore. No one's hiring COBOL or, or um, what else? I'm just trying to, I'm trying to think as if I was alive in the eighties and right, I don't know right. how to run this example, but I think you get what I'm trying to ask. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think that the things that make you valuable as you get older are the same things as when you're younger, but you you have to learn how to position it and how to position it as an advantage. And again, I can't say this enough. Performance proves value. Like you can't, it's very easy to want to rest on your laurels and to say, I did this and this and this. And in our industry, I don't believe you can do that. You can't assume that you get credit for all that stuff. If you kind of get rid of that expectation that you're going to get credit for all the previous stuff. I mean, honestly, and what you said earlier kind of resonates with me because I hear this more, which is, I think in some ways it's easier for those of us who've been working a long time to get in the door than it is for someone younger. I've got a big network of people I can reach out to with a big resume of things I've done. And in some ways, it's a lot easier as you get older to get your foot in the door. Now, once they see you, if they think, oh, you're an old fart, you know, I don't really want. Oh, my God. You know, (laughs) was I not supposed to say that on? No. But that's the other thing is, I think that our industry, unless you're like freaking brilliant and like, I don't know, nobody wants the elder statesman. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm so into this. Yeah. So somebody going in and saying, you know, I did this in 1980 and blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's not relevant. You have to really bring it every day. Yeah. That's my opinion. And so I think it's like, how do you stay relevant? Right. Because I think one example is, is it the online courses? You know, I feel like sometimes it's just over commoditized. There's so many online courses, you know, and then it's like, maybe that generation isn't prone to learning just by watching videos? Is it because it's just a different way of learning a different generation? I mean, like, how do you say, I can go down this rabbit hole for so long, but I think it's, it's kind of easy to tell a younger crew to like, Hey, this is how you stay relevant because they are self-motivated to stay relevant. Right. Cause if you don't have like 50,000 followers on Instagram, you're irrelevant. But <laughs> Right. So it's like, it's, it's easy to tell the younger devs to stay relevant because you're right. They, they've got to try to get their next job. And I'll just side tangent really quick. I mean, what you said earlier about your network that is so powerful. You're right. I have a junior developer coming to me and he's like, Hey, I'm looking for help to get a job. And it's like, man, it's not even the interviews. You got to know how to the right people to ask for that job. But it's a risky proposition to hire someone really young versus someone older. Mm, Because you're pretty certain that the older person 
will know how to do it and get up to speed. And the younger one is just unproven. But I'll tell you how I stay up to date. And there's probably a million ways. Is it TikTok? Oh, I wish. Yeah. Because all <laughs> the time I waste on there, I don't even want to get into that. I love TikTok so much. It's so hilarious. <laughs> oh, man. That's going to be another. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I know. It's so great. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I think that open source is a great way to stay relevant and to stay up to date. And honestly, so every morning I get up at 530 and I run. You got to stay physically. And then the second thing is I spend a half hour every morning on GitHub, Stack Overflow, and then I have like three tech newsletters. And I just go through and I look at what's the highest rated Stack Overflow, either topic or project. And GitHub, I look at what's rated and even then just like what's interesting and I play around with. And again, I don't do development anymore because I think I, that'd be a very sad thing. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm more in the management and that, yeah, but yeah. I love to stay up to date on that. And because my market is always developers, I have to stay relevant. But those two sites, GitHub and Stack Overflow, if you're a developer, those are just like, you can take all the classes you want, or you can just look at the code and the projects up there. And I think those are so, I feel like I'm cheating. It's so funny because, you know, in college, it's like, you can't plagiarize. And then you're an adult and it's like, you can plagiarize. Right. Take right, all of right. it. And that's what those are. They're just such great assets. That's where I would start personally. If you want to stay relevant, those two sites are amazing. Yeah. I mean, I feel very inspired. I should definitely be better at checking in on a constant basis. But I think this also reminds me of, so again, not only have you seen the 80s, 90s, I don't know what's called, like 2000s and then the 10s, like the, whatever these periods of time is called. So that's a macro level. And then you also see it on a micro level, right? So the micro level, which is just checking in every day on GitHub and Stack Overflow. Yeah. Then I'm curious, like, what are you either most excited about coming for, let's say the next decade and you're, you're thinking, oh my God, this is crazy. Then I guess the second part of the question is like, okay, this is also coming and I am not excited for this because this is, I don't, you know what I mean? So, right. Yeah. Well, so, so I'll tell you, I, I'm in a blather. So let me tell you first, I think Twitch is such an amazing Twitch. Holy crap. What I love about Twitch, especially now as none of us get to see each other, it's such a great community builder. And during the pandemic, watching the relevance of Twitch just go through the roof. Absolutely. I love Twitch. I mean, I love the community building around it. I There's a guy named Jeff Fritt, who's amazing, who you should interview sometime because he's awesome. He's C-sharp Fritz on Twitch. Anyway, there's a lot of communities out there, but he's built a really fun one of like live coding, teaching it. Talk about a guy who brings it every day, you know, bringing it, making it fun and funny. We've got all these little communities. And to me, that's the most fun is building the communities and people to people like that. That to me, I love. I love Twitch so much. Personal personal bias. Do you also game? Can I game with you on Twitch? Can we you know, stream? I don't. <laughs> but if you're willing to help me out there. <laughs> Do you know how to play chess? Oh, 
Do you play actually, chess on Twitch? Oh, yeah. This is a podcast now about gaming. But yeah, chess is really getting a rise on Twitch. So much so that this professional esports company, I think it's called like, T- I'm forgetting the name, but they just signed their first competitive chess esports player. And I think it was kind of underground for a moment. And then quarantine during COVID, that really shot it up in terms of like competitive esports chess. Yeah. So anyways, I don't know how to play chess, but if you know how to play chess and we could do Twitch, then that'd be crazy. I am not that great at it. So if you don't know how to play, I think we'd be paired pretty well. Yeah. I don't even know the the characters, the roles. (laughs) I think it's like black and white and that's about it. Or black and red or something. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Anyway. Yeah. So I love Twitch. I love the community. I love that we can connect in new ways that are, it's, that's super fun to me. The thing I'm not looking forward to, but I have a caveat because I'm going to plug something while I'm at it. So everything we hear is that the world is going to get more automated and you see it, you know, like you go into McDonald's and now you order on a little fake phone huge size like big a fridge phone. yeah yeah a fridge with the apps buttons and, and then your soda pops out <laughs> right right so we see automation taking over and it's only going to get more so and and so it's scary because like unskilled jobs what is going to happen with those and and like i think that automation after this pandemic is going to be every retail and restaurant is probably more motivated than ever to adopt automation and cut out those unskilled jobs and so i actually participate in an organization called first and it's robotics for kids There's several different programs within that, but it's an amazing program that's nurturing the next generation of our STEM leaders. And what's cool about it is that it not only teaches robotics, which is awesome, teaching kids and programming, like you literally have to program the robot, but also the team and leadership skills that are going to be critical to the future of our world. And so if it's going to be an automated world in the future, we need to teach our youth how to run and program that automation so that this next generation doesn't have to be caught flat-footed and afraid of technology, but that they're ready to run that automation. And so while I'm not necessarily looking forward to my robot master, I am looking forward to us doing everything we can to get this next generation up and running and totally motivated to be our future leaders. So that's the exciting part of that. That's a really good perspective then. I mean, I I also wonder, I guess neither of us fit into this category, but I wonder what Gen Z thinks about automation. You think they're afraid of it? Were you were people afraid of automation back in the 90s or in the 80s or was it not even a conversation back then? I don't think anybody's afraid of it. What I worry about is that they don't know how to harness it. If you currently are a McDonald's cashier or even in the back cooking or whatever, how do we train that person so that they can run the machine that will run the automation of those tasks? How can we retrain them so that they can do that work now and hopefully get paid better? So maybe there will be fewer jobs, although the birth rate's going down. So 
That might not be bad either. But how do we get those people who today are doing tasks manually and teach them how to run that automation and not be afraid of it? And so that's why I think programming is so important because I think anybody who knows how to program is orders of magnitude better off than someone who doesn't. In fact, let me give you, I know I'm blathering here, but let me give you a quick example. So I run marketing for my company. And you think, oh, that's not a technical role. On the contrary, marketing has become a very, it's not as technical as like writing an operating system, but you have to know how to program JavaScript. You have to know how to use HTML and CSS. The person who knows how to program when they're going for a marketing job is so much more valuable than the person who doesn't. And you don't necessarily think of automation and marketing, but that's what marketing is now. It's all automation. And we think of automation as kind of these more, you know, I don't know, robot type things, but it's really not. It's about programming. Programming is the future. And I'm not saying that everyone has to be a programmer, but if you if you understand programming, if you know how to do it, you will be so much better off than the person who doesn't. And that's any age. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right on that. I think I think it's really easy for the younger generation because if you think about it this way, you see toddlers now with an iPad in front of their face, right? But back even in the 90s, it'd be super weird if your parent gave you like a Windows 95 when you were like four years old, right? You're attached to that, right? But now it's oddly okay. But back then it'd be super, super weird. So I think that there is there is this difference of being contextualized with tech at the very first day of memory versus hey, I'm 20 years old. Oh, what is this typewriter doing here? How do I... So there's that that 20 years of, it's just an example, these years of like, hey, I've never, I've never seen this before. Or gosh, you know, people who are chilling this year and they're, you know, 92 years old, right? I knew someone who was alive until 106. I don't... Anyways, that's... Just, <laughs> I, I, like, yeah, it's but like, have you... <laughs> I think that that approaching technology fearlessly is such an advantage. I look at my mom who's 83 and that's how she approaches technology. She's a subject matter expert on shopping, by the way, but <laughs> on online that. shopping. Yeah. E-commerce, right? right? <laughs> D to C, direct to consumer. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she, she's got that. Yeah. So, but again, there's a big difference between using your phone and watching a TikTok video and actually programming or even creating a TikTok video. Even the act of creating a TikTok video is a good step toward understanding the automation and all of the mindset of being a creator. Well, so then speaking of creator, I guess, I'm, you know, lastly, I'd like to know what are you currently working on? Um, how can we follow up on what you're working on? Can it even be a pet project? Who knows? Right. So what I'm working on at work, it's funny because tech, we help companies eradicate toxic legacy. And I mean, we just, you know, shoot it dead. And it's an amazing technology and it makes a big difference because we're making the world a safer place one app at a time. And so that's what we do. We have technology that takes old code and replaces it with new code. 
I'm a dork and I get excited about every new release we do. And so we've got a new release where we're going to be eradicating silver light. So old technologies, it's a niche geeky thing, but it's fun and, and we love doing it. And the good news is that not a lot of others like to do it. So we kind of have own our own position. So that's what we do. And I'm on Twitter and that's where I hang out and post a lot about tech up there. Yes, you are. I'll (laughs) I'll be sure to save the link in the description. Yeah. Yeah. So I love to connect with people on Twitter. I love the tech community up on Twitter. You always hear about how hostile and crappy Twitter is, but I feel like tech Twitter is a very nice place to be. You're absolutely right. I've gotten to some weird, awkward places on Twitter. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to step out right now. <laughs> yeah. Away from I'm just going to move away from that. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Dee Dee Walsh, thank you so much for coming on. I really am glad to be able to chat with you again. And I continue looking forward to our other conversations as well. I love talking with you in person and I've loved talking with you now. <laughs> and I hope we can talk again really soon. Thank you for joining us today. Have a good day. And you are back at Decoded. Again, my name is Sydney Lai and what a conversation about aging. And hey, it's unavoidable. We all do it. We all get old. And eventually the tech becomes so complicated. We, of course, just think back to the nostalgic days of, man, I miss MySpace. Remember MySpace? Right. So I think the biggest lesson learned here, at least on my end, is how do you stay relevant in the world of tech? And if you are a more senior developer, if you're a gray hat, if you're older, how do you play a role continuing, if not developing, but mentoring the next generation of developers? I think with that being said, I really appreciate you guys joining with us today. If I had one ask, man, if you found this episode helpful, please share this with a friend. Just link them, text them, be like, hey, I heard this episode. It's pretty relevant. Let's check it out. All right, everyone join us for next week's episode. I'm excited. Let's go. Let's go.